Why does it take so long to really learn how to love other people in the way that they appreciate most? I don't know if I'm just the, the slowest learner in the room about that, but I will tell you I'm slow. Uh, I think back to an experience uh, some years ago when our children were particularly young where this came into definition for me. I had come home after a uh, busy work day. I'd been very much occupied with all of what I had on my agenda. And I walked into the house probably about 7 o'clock in the evening uh, to find um, Amy and our then uh, two very young children in a state of, shall I say, disrepair. Uh, messiness, uh, as young families typically are. Uh, it was obvious that things had kind of gone off the hinges. There were cr was crying. There was upset. Uh, the children were in the equivalent, I guess, of, uh, of um, solitary confinement uh, for whatever misdeeds. <laughs> uh, and, um, and it was clear that Amy, you know, was feeling the weight of all this. And being the incredibly, you know, benevolent father and husband I am, I rushed to help. And I immediately went, uh, approached her, and I said, Honey, I love you. You're a great mom. And I just reached out to give her a big hug. And she stiffened, and she stepped back, and she said, Just put one of them to bed. <laughs> or take out the garbage. Pick up a dish. You know, just do something. And I was so wounded. Because I'm thinking to myself, if Amy had come to me and said, I love you, you're a great pastor. You're a wonderful pastor and wanted to give me a hug. I'd be a happy camper. I would have felt so encouraged by that. And so I just wilted and I felt wounded and thought, what's, what's wrong with her? <laughs> As I said, I'm a slow learner. But... I've slowly learned and begun to realize that love and loving is a little bit more sophisticated business than I had thought about at the start. You know, one of the great resources in my life on this particular subject, perhaps known to many of you, was Gary Chapman's phenomenal book, The Five Love Languages. How many of you read that one? A uh, familiar uh, title to many of us. Um, I think it's required reading. I give it to every, encourage every couple that I marry these days to be sure to read that. And sometimes when I meet couples later on in the journey that are struggling, I recommend the book even more uh, passionately to them. But, but basically what Chapman offers in this marvelous classic are a couple of key ideas. One of which is this idea that there are basically five ways that love gets expressed and experienced. Now, there are lots of ways, I'm sure many more than five, but there are five big ways, common ways, that people try to express love and, and which different people actually experience that as a loving thing. Uh, and, and one of them, you've probably, uh, no surprise to this, one of them is, is through words of affirmation, by saying verbally, I love you, uh, you did a great job, I'm proud of you. Uh, words of encouraging affirmation is just one of the big love languages. Second is through physical touch. That's what I was trying to do that particular day. Uh, a hug, a kiss, a, a taking of somebody's hand, a cuddle on the couch, or, and more. These are the ways that we, some, that we confer this sense uh, bodily that somebody else is, is loved. Uh, quality time spent is the third of the, of the significant 
love languages. Uh, it's the, the commitment to a lazy morning together, uh, to a, an afternoon outing, to a, an unplugged evening, to a vacation uh, away someplace. This can say I love you in a very powerful way. Personal gifts are the fourth love language. Uh, few things say I love you so much as one of those little blue boxes from Tiffany's. Uh, <laughs> uh, or sports equipment for certain people. Uh, it just feels like a very loving thing or, or an electronic gadget or something uh, of some other personal value. That can be a, a love language. Personal gifts are. And, and finally, the fifth uh, language that uh, Chapman identifies is acts of service. Uh, the, the commitment to doing something that relieves the burden or that assists with getting something off someone's plate, a base covered, a chore done, and so forth. Now, the second key idea that Chapman offers is that um, each of us has one or more preferred love languages. Now, this was what I did not get uh, back in that scenario I described earlier. Um, each of us um, is sort of respectful of all the different modes of love, but has a particular way that it feels like love when somebody is doing this in our direction. Uh, so I shared with you when, when somebody speaks words of affirmation to me or offers me a, 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 the, the physical touch, that feels very loving uh, to me. Um, but Chapman's third lesson, and probably the most important one of all, is that we have this tendency to try and speak love in our language to other people. I remember when I was a, a high school student, uh, we took a, uh, I took a trip to France, and, uh, and I was so eager to tell the French people how fabulous their, their city of Paris was. I remember approaching them and sort of blathering out how uh, excited I was about their, uh, their city, and this particular waiter I was saying this to looked, scowled at me. And I was later told that if I had just tried to speak French, instead of spoken in English, that I would have gotten a very different response, even if the French had been broken. And, and because the, the, they were looking for someone that, that respected them enough to try and speak their language. A lot of time, we, we don't even think about it. We just naturally speak our form of love to the people in our life. And the classic example was that encounter that I described, because I, I just was earnestly trying to love up on Amy, but her preferred love language acts of service, okay? And then those little blue boxes uh, from <laughs> Tiffany's <laughs> works, you know, that works too. So, so how truly loving is it when I'm coming at somebody, spewing words and offering hugs, who's really feeling the love? Me, right? N not so much uh, her in that instance. People can go years missing this. Uh, there, are, there are marriages, maybe even in this room, that this is a, a very helpful uh, wake-up call to uh, today. Uh, husbands and wives don't understand sometimes why the other person is not more appreciative of how much they love them. And it has to do with this very uh, phenomenon that I'm trying to describe. Uh, there are parents uh, who are doing all of these acts of service for their kids. Uh, you know, they're, they're driving them here and there, or they're or they're giving personal gifts, you know, they're the, the latest toys the kids get, not dreaming that some, at least some of their kids 
for them, it would be quality time that would make the difference. I, I've told the story in the past of, the, of an afternoon in which I, I, I spent uh, with one of our kids when they were probably eight years old. And uh, we went bike riding and we went and grabbed an ice cream downtown and we sat at the train, train station and watched the trains go by. And we, you know, we just did all these really, really simple things. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I've got to get back and finish the sermon. Sundays are coming. I got to get that done. So I'm somewhat distracted this whole time, and I get back home and I leave my child in the hands of my capable wife, and I go back to writing the sermon. Uh, and Amy comes to me a little bit later and says, um, He wants you to come up and say goodnight to him. I'm like, Oh, I've wasted so much time today. I need to get on with this work. And I go, and he's there, and his cover is up to his chin, little eight year old. And he says, Thanks, Dad. This was the best day of my life. The very best day of my life. And I'm thinking to myself, I just, I am the slowest learner on the planet. I just don't get the value. I don't, I don't pay attention to what feels like love in, in the lives of the people around me. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody in your family needs to be loved that way. Um, I don't know. I know there are bosses out there that have no idea sometimes uh, what it is that would really motivate and excite the people in their employment. And uh, sometimes we think it's the titles. Uh, sometimes even we think that it's the money when so often it's the words of care and love and appreciation. We couldn't do this without you. Uh, although my staff would be quick to remind me, money helps. It never loses <laughs> as a way of expressing real appreciation. Um, so as I shared in my message last week, the great call of God is, is to learn to look more deeply in an other word direction than is our natural inclination. Uh, as St. Paul underlines in his great letter to the church at Philippi, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, not thinking about things in your own way all the time, uh, but each of you looking to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And as I described in the message last week, you know, Jesus does all of these things to enter into the space and the life and the passions and the hopes of the people that he's seeking to love. And this is to be our mindset, uh, our attitude as well. And then St. Peter, like all of the other apostles, he gets this too, and he writes in one of his letters, each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, in its different languages. Each of you should attend to the others and think about which of these forms of grace will be most helpful, truly received, in the lives of others. Now, unless you are an unusual saint, it's going to take a lifetime to get this. Um, you know, all of us are going to spend a huge amount of time trying to get to this place where it's no longer us in the way, uh, and love is simply moving through us. Um, the reason for this, of course, the Bible says, is uh, this condition called sin. And sin is this fundamental break that it has occurred between us and the one who made us, and, and this curving in upon ourselves that has now become our natural tendency. 
In fact, St. Augustine, uh, one of the great thinkers of the church in the 5th century, called this, and I mentioned this phrase last week in Latin, the incurvatus se, the curving in upon ourself, which comes as a result of, of trying to find in ourselves everything that can lead to wholeness and, and well-being, when in reality, we are made to curve out into relationships towards God, first and foremost, and towards uh, one another. And paradise, before sin takes over, is this place of, of constant relationship, of a curving out relationship. Human beings in relationship with God, with uh, naked and unashamed with each other, uh, caring for the garden, caring for the animals and naming them. And then sin comes, this temptation, this thought that maybe I can do it without all these relationships. Maybe I can be God, and there's this curving in on ourselves. And so all of us are fighting this all of our lives. No matter how we've been socialized, there's still this impulse in us. I know it. I recognize it in myself. Even as I'm, I'm saying these things, I, there's, this, there's this rebellion in me, this response that kicks up in me. Every time somebody is challenging me to live more otherward, I'm thinking, yeah, well, why don't they do more things for themselves? And what have they done for me? And if I start doing this for them, then they'll expect even more. And, and it's this curving back upon myself that, that I'm constantly struggling with. Life is intended to curve outward. God, God says, and as we explored last week, that, that if we will restore the relationships, first with him, and then build more and more of these relationships with others, we will find that all of us begin to flourish at a different level. Uh, we're having a great conversation in our nation's life right now about what it is that's going to make America healthy and whole and, and, and right as it should be in the years to come. And there are all kinds of policy prescriptions that are being presented in various ways. But imagine the dramatic change that we would see if millions upon millions of people were taking up these particular habits that I've put up for you on, on the screen these other word behaviors that we looked at in greater depth last week. Just imagine the impact on our nation's life if people were living into those uh, ways of being with one another. Do you think it would be a better world or, or, a, or a worse world if people were living that way? Who, who would say that might be a better world? Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm pretty sure of that. So, so let me pose for you an even larger question as we're thinking about worlds right now. And the question that I have for you is, how are you and I getting ready for the world to come? It's important that we think about this world that we're living in now, but how are we getting ready for the world that is yet to come? Because you see, one day, there will be no more elections. Isn't that good news? Yeah, there, there, will, there will be no more news programs, no more sitcoms, no more rom-coms, no more dot-coms, no more of the things that are so occupying us and distracting us uh, in so many different ways. One day, all of the earthquakes and the tribulations and, and the storms and the wars that we've been living through will be seen for what the Bible has actually always said they were, they were signs of the times. They were warnings. They were calls to wake up because the end is coming near. Jesus is coming back, and things are going to become as they should be. 
they are going to be. And Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, I want to unpack that for just a moment with us and and ask you this. Who's going to go through this sorting process? All of us, all nations. The word is, is gentes, which means all people groups. Every one of us is going to go through this kind of sorting process. And And which will it be better to be on that day of sorting, a sheep or a goat? Yes, live in a sheeply way. Live in a sheepward direction uh, if, if you possibly can. Because Jesus goes on and says, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. That's not a political endorsement, by the way. Okay? There will be Democrats and Republicans and Green Party and libertarians, and probably a whole range of other different dispositions that will be on each side of that great divide on that day, and they will actually be talking to one another for the first time in a while. And it will be a humble conversation. Believe me, it will be a humble conversation as they see the greatness and the gloriousness of God and they begin to evaluate whether they got him ever, really. Um, do you know the crucial difference between being a sheep and a goat? Uh, I, as some of you know, I worked in the sheep business, and I actually spent a whole nother summer working on a farm where I got to know goats quite well. In fact, one of them knocked me out cold. I was trying to c- cut uh, trim its hooves, and it looked at me and went bam with its horns and laid me out. The main difference between sheep and goats is that goats tend to go their own way. Sheep can learn to, to recognize and respond to the voice of the shepherd. That's the fundamental difference. Uh, goats are sort of permanently curved inward. Sheep can learn, in a sense, even though they're not the brightest creatures God ever made, they can learn to respond outwardly to the voice of the shepherd. Jesus goes on and says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, one day we're going to discover that this life we've been living has been really a season of preparation. That, that it's been, in, in, to use a sports metaphor, it's been a training camp. It's been intended to build our capacity uh, so that when we go out and play the ultimate game, which is the life of the kingdom of God ahead of us, we're going to be more ready to do it. We're going to realize on that day that everything that we'd experienced in this life, our childhood, our, our youth, our young adulthood, our career, our relationships, our, our trials and our tragedies, everything that happened to us and that we were part of in this life was, was a, an element of an important, the most important kind of apprenticeship, uh, in a sense. And, and from the very beginning, God had, was, was placing us in an environment where we could become more developed, where we could learn to hear and to follow his voice, where we could get ready 
to manage an even greater array of resources, what he calls here his, our, our inheritance, our Heavenly Father's ultimate business, we would play a part in managing the kingdom of God. And one day we're going to see that what we're doing right now counts uh, toward that ultimate state of readiness. Now, when I hear that, um, I'm reminded that the question God is going to be most concerned with at that time is, Dan, or insert your own name, will you or have you learned to love me and to love others as I love? That will be the, the real thing God's um, judging the apprenticeship on, in a sense. He's, 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 he wants to know, have we really learned to love in the way he wants us to learn to love? That's what, by the way, the great commandment that uh, Jesus gives us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself is all about. He wants to teach us to love in this outward kind of way. Now, that scares me a little bit, I'll be honest with you, because I want to say to God, Lord, you've watched me in action, and you know I don't always get love. I don't always know how to do love. I sometimes express love in the way that makes me comfortable, that makes me feel fulfilled, but isn't even close to apparently what is actually required in that situation. Remember that time I tried to placate Amy with empty words and hugs? when what she needed was something very, very different. Remember all those times I thought I was being really loving towards my kids or my coworkers, and I wasn't even close to what was really needed in that moment. So when you say love God, what exactly are you looking for? What's your love language, God? That's what I'm really asking. Do you know what God's love language is? Do you know what his love language is? In reading the scriptures, we're, we're given at least some sense that God values all of the different ways of loving that we've talked about already today. The Bible teaches that God enjoys our words of affirmation when we acknowledge his attributes or when we sing his praises as we've already done today. Uh, it brings delight. God delights in the praises of his people, the Bible says. He loves it when, when we sing of of who he is and of what he has done, and when we recite the great creeds that, that proclaim our faith, God loves these things, not because he needs to hear them. And really to be really clear on that one, God never wakes up in the morning and has to look in the mirror and, says, and think to himself, am I still holy? Am I still beautiful and good? And am I still almighty? God does not need to to get the encouragement from us that he is these things. But he knows that when we voice these words of affirmation, it draws us in his direction. It draws us closer to him. So he, he loves it when we do this. Uh, as a spiritual being, God doesn't seem to be that needy of physical touch. But he values physical touch. It's why he's given us the ability to do these things uh, with our bodies and our hands. And he loves it, I believe, when we use physical touch wisely and well. And as you know, we can use it badly and brutally sometimes. And, and God is paying attention. He wants to see us using our physical touch in a gracious way. God enjoys it when we spend quality time with him. The Bible is really clear about that. 
Uh, he loves it when we step aside from all of the distractions and the noise of life and commit to time with him in prayer or in silence or in solitude. He wants us to commune with him. He just, you know, I think if we spend a whole day with him, uh, just, just really thinking about him and his leading in our life and all that he's done, uh, at the end of the day, he would say, this is the best day, Dan. This is the best day that you've lived. I think God really values that. It's why he calls us to keep the Sabbath day holy. It's why he delights in it when we come to worship like this. We are spending quality time with him. Uh, numerous teachings in the Old and the New Testaments make it clear that God definitely likes it when we commit our personal gifts to his work because he's given us those gifts and, and he, he wants to see us using them to bring blessing, uh, to extend the work of his kingdom. When we make it a priority to actually use these things in his way, uh, it just it makes him smile. It just brings great joy to him. Um, but in the particular parable that gets recorded in, in Matthew chapter 25, the one we've been walking through today, in that particular lesson, uh, Jesus tells us that God actually has a preferred love language. He, he cares about all of them, but he wants to see all of these others, in a sense, moving us towards this final expression, uh, and that is through acts of service. This is where I know I'm married to a godly woman because that's her lo preferred love language too, acts of service. For the great shepherd will say to the sheep, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did did it, you did it for me. In a sense, you did it to me. In the end, Jesus is not going to evaluate you and me on the basis of how many times we came to church or how many times we, we picked up the Bible or, or whether we had all of the key doctrines memorized or, or whether we hung around with all the right people, at the end, God wants to know one thing. Did you get my heart? Now, coming to church, studying the Bible, understanding the doctrines, hanging around with, with uh, resourceful, helpful people, these things can help us in the process, but the end, the, the, the answer he's looking for is, yes, Lord, I got your heart. I got your heart. Jesus says that he identifies so closely with people who were hungry, thirsty, outcast, uh, unclothed, sick, in prison, people whose lives are simply not going to get better unless somebody comes to them with resources they don't have in themselves. Uh, he identifies so much with the vulnerable 
and the needy in this way, that every time you do anything or I do anything to minister to that kind of need, he feels it deep in his being as if we were ministering to him. That is why I've got some phenomenal news to share with you today. And the news is that that you're part of a community that gets his heart. Not perfectly, but, but significantly. You're part of a community of faith that is about these acts of service and always has been. The average church in America, some of you may know this, rarely ever is able to or moved to give more than 10% of the offerings that they take in towards the needs of others outside of the building. The, the average church in America is striving to just get to a tithe in terms of their commitment to acts of service beyond the place. Uh, since the founding of Christ Church, this congregation has committed closer to 20% of its resources outside of the building through a mission ministry, through a media outreach in a wonderful way. And the vision that we're going to be unrolling this next month is that we plan to take it to 30% of our annual giving in the days to come. We have a vision for acts of service in four particular areas that I want to briefly touch on before I bring this to a close today. Our leadership team has a dream that in the next several years, our church is going to help to dramatically lift the quality of life and the future outcomes, outcomes for children and single moms and, and others in, in, a, in a pocket of suburbanized poverty near us along the Roosevelt Road corridor. And we're going to flood that place with volunteers, with investment, with training and support. We're going to come alongside all the wonderful people that God has already put in that, that community and we're going to see a level of flourishing happen in the life of that community that will make God smile. We're just committed to that. We have a similar vision for a community in Africa that we're going to pour significant resources in, in partnership with some of our missionaries in that particular area, because there are a lot of kids and families there that are sick and unclothed and hungry and thirsty, and God does not want to see that happening anymore. He wants his church to go to these places and to lift the quality of life for people. And so we're committed to doing that uh, in a deeper way in the years ahead. Material need, of course, is not the only form of poverty. It is a significant form of poverty, and it needs very exert, um, uh, energetic attention. But, but there's also spiritual poverty. Uh, you may not know how unusual you are that you're even here today, that you're doing what you're doing during this particular hour. Because surveys say that, that probably 60% of Americans don't have a regular community of faith in which they're getting closer to God and, and taking in his heart and then able to let it out towards other people. Some surveys suggest that it may be as many as 83% of Americans, even here in the Midwest, that are de-churched or unchurched and not planning to go to church anytime soon. Some of these precious people think that God doesn't care about them. 
some of these precious people don't really care about God. Some of these folks are imprisoned in a pattern of living that keeps them from flourishing as God wants them uh, to. Uh, Some of these people are heading towards a destiny, an eternal future without God. And that breaks his heart. And he wants them to be reached. He doesn't want them to be strangers to him anymore. So we believe it would be just like God if we were to do something about that. And so we're planning to do something more about that. In the days ahead, we're going to start reaching out into some of the communities around here and and putting branches of Christ's church into these communities. More specifically, we're going to find churches that once were strong, vital uh, centers of life in these communities but have grown weak and just can't mount the ministry any longer, and we're going to adopt them if they are open to it. We've already started hearing from churches saying, please come, put your arms around us. Let's join together and reach our community again, and we're going to do that. We will, we will be doing that at least twice in the next two years and reestablishing a Christian witness and a center of life and love and flourishing in some communities that really need it. We also plan to keep improving and extending the media outreach of Christ Church because, again, studies are telling us that many, many people today, that's where they're getting their primary spiritual content is through the media And we want to do an even better job of reaching out to folks who may encounter the message of Jesus no other way than this. And through all of these various means, through the Roosevelt Road, through Africa, through the new sites of Christ Church, through our media outreach, we're going to try and bring hundreds and hundreds of strangers home to God's heart and to the community of his family. And we need you. We need your heart and your commitment to make this possible. You know, I want to say in closing that it seems to me that there are two reasons to be someone who moves in an otherward direction uh, or or who commits themselves to the life of an otherward church like this one. There are two big reasons to do this. One is because you genuinely love people. You have spent enough time with God and with his kind of loving that your loving has gone to another level. You are no longer turned away by the outside of people, by the messiness of people. There is in you this heart that beats hard for people. You want every one of them to flourish and you want to do something about that, some act of service to help that happen. That's one of the main reasons why you might commit yourself to moving otherward and being part of an otherward church. But the the second reason to do that, uh, and the reason that may apply to even more of us, is because you know you don't have a heart like that. You know that your heart still curves inward an awful lot like mine does. And, And you have this belief that if you could just start trying to move otherward, start doing these acts of service, start practicing these things that God does himself, you would come to enjoy them. Your heart would grow. You would find yourself more and more like him. So here's my invitation to you. As you move out into the world this week, as our church moves out into the world in these coming years, let's not just do what pleases us. Let's not just do the things which instantly feel good to us. 
Let's do those things that the Bible says bring a smile to the face of God. Please pray with me. Lord God, we pray that you, who are love, in absolute, pure, glorious reality, will so fill us up that we find ourselves almost helplessly and joyfully moving otherward to extend grace in its various forms. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.